0: So do you consider yourself an honest person? I think we'd certainly like to believe that people think we're honest. And I think that we hope that people will see us as trustworthy and we we really treasure the whole concept of honesty. In fact, most of us grew up with that saying, honesty is the best policy, which is a great saying, although many people feel it's trite, we've heard it so much. But it's true. In fact, we feel as though honesty is at the core of our society and, and we recoil at people who are intentionally deceitful or just plain dishonest. We can't trust them. We don't feel comfortable around them. It just makes us feel very separated and, and disowned. But the gospel today raises several levels of honesty. I mean, there's some things that we keep very quiet, close to the chest, because they're just not appropriate to share. As my son tells me periodically, Dad, too much information. And we have to be careful about how we share ourselves and some things that are confidential and, and some things we'd rather not people know about. Because if we felt that they knew that about us, they'd no longer respect us. In fact, they might even shun us. The challenge today with the gospel is that when we come into the presence of God into that presence of our Creator, the source of our well-being, the source of all life, we really cannot hold things confidentially. We cannot hold back. There are no secrets from the source of our life. And when we come into that presence, we suddenly feel as though we're naked and vulnerable and it might be so uncomfortable that we run away, and yet the gospel invites us to find something from this presence that knows us better than we know ourselves, so that somehow we can come to that fullness and well-being that we're intended to by our Creator. Challenging story this morning from the gospel: the Samaritan woman from the town of Sychar had something to hide. And the gospel gives us a couple of hints, several hints, about why she seemed to have some sort of shame and there was something that she was really keeping from everybody else. You notice there were two things that the gospel said to set the stage. One, she came alone to the well. And two, she came at noon. In those days, women just didn't travel alone. It was considered improper. And in fact, those women who traveled alone were sometimes regarded as women of easy virtue or even prostitutes. They always traveled together, also for protection too, and and really fi- for that sense of support, but also for a sense of decorum. But, but she came alone, and she came at noon. Have you ever tried to pick up one of those water jars, those clay ones? They're heavy, and when you fill them up with water, it's backbreaking to try to haul that water all the way back to town. And women back then were usually the people who had to haul the water for the household and it took a lot of exercise and learning and posture and poise to put those water jars on their heads on special cushions and it was hard work. So no wonder most women came together in the cool of the day either in the early morning or in the evening when it wasn't hot. But this woman came at noon. She didn't want to be with anybody else, especially those women. What did she have to hide? She must have just rolled her eyes when she saw that she wasn't alone, but there was a man, a stranger at the well. And this man actually had the audacity to speak to her. He was breaking the same kind of rules that she was breaking. I mean, you didn't speak to women who were unaccompanied, and women never spoke to an unaccompanied man. He broke the rules of society, but then she went on to point out that he also broke the rules of their religion. He was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan and Jews just didn't associate with Samaritans. Jews and um, Samaritans were Semites. They all had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their ancestors, and they were by Jacob's well. And yet, because the Samaritans had sort of gone on their own way, had come up with their own laws that were slightly different, but still had the core, and certainly had a different way of thinking. I mean, as she pointed out, they worshiped on that mountain, and Jews worshiped over in Jerusalem. They, they just didn't speak to each other. In fact, Jews, self-respecting Jews, would never dream of talking to a Samaritan, especially since they were considered unclean. And being in their presence made you unclean. And no self-respecting Jew would walk through Samaria, even though Samaria was smack in between Galilee and Jerusalem, and to get to any point south, the most direct way was to go through Samaria, as Jesus was doing. And yet, most self-respecting Jews would go all the way around Samaria, way out of their ways, just so that they wouldn't defile themselves with the dust of those Samaritans. And here was this man who seemed to be breaking all the rules and to top it off, he asked for a drink of water from her cup. Disgusting. I mean, Jews would never dream of sharing the same common cup with anybody other than Jews, and especially those Samaritans, and any Gentile. And there were whole rules written out on that very specifically. And the rabbis made sure that you adhered to those laws. And Jesus seemed to be completely oblivious. And yet, the woman seemed intrigued. She didn't run away. She stayed in his presence and she listened to him. And he offered her something that sounded really intriguing. Living water. If you taste this living water, you will not be thirsty again. In fact, if you taste this living water, it will gush up to you into eternal life and give you that deep sense of satisfaction. No wonder she said, and she listened now, and there was something in her that said, Sir, give me this water. And then Jesus said, for some reason, go back and bring your husband back, and then come. I have no husband. Then the truth. You are right to say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. You are right. Gotcha. That's why she didn't want to be with the other women. Everybody in town knew her history, and now this man, this stranger, seemed to know it too. And that's what she wanted to keep, because she was embarrassed, full of shame, and she was tired of people treating her as lower than dirt. And yet this man not only knew all about her, but he seemed to be accepting her. And he was offering her this gift of living water. She didn't run away. She didn't just call him fresh or... She wasn't frightened of him, but she did leave her water jug and she went back into town and spoke not only to her husband or the person who she uh, was living with, but to as many people in town as she could. Absolutely astonishing giving them this incredible story that I think I've been in the presence of the Messiah, the savior. These are the very people who had shunned her before, who had treated her as though she was anathema, something that was an untouchable. And yet she had the courage and boldness to go right up to them with this fantastic story. And the incredible thing is that these people who had shunned her as that woman, suddenly saw something in her that made them not only listen, But to actually believe that she must have found something because she had changed. She was transformed. She had courage. She had confidence and she had a burning desire to share this incredible good news with them. She was bubbling forth with living water and they could taste. I believe they could taste that eternal life in what she said and in her person and they came and found the Messiah. A Jew? Yeah. You and I have come here this morning in search of the same living water. Someone has told us to come here, like the woman, the Samaritan woman, told the people in town, come and see. Maybe, maybe our parents did a long time ago. Or maybe our spouses said, well, we're going to church today. Or maybe as in my last parish, I can't tell you the number of parents who said, well, I'm here because my children said that they wanted to be here. Um, incredible. Or a friend told us, or, or there was something inside of us that said, I need something more today. And so we came here, see- Searching for living water, for for hope, for trust in something beyond ourselves, something to believe in that we could put our confidence in. Maybe we come here to get some sort of sense of purpose and meaning in life. We're, We're not sure exactly what. But in the process of being here, we may feel the presence that That Samaritan woman felt at the well. A presence that looks deep within us and demands complete honesty. A presence that sort of unmasks us and at the same time knows deeply more about us than we know about ourselves. Very uncomfortable so uncomfortable that we may want to run away or stop coming here or stop praying at night. Because when we pray at night and we're all alone in the dark, we have to come face to face with this presence, but even more so face to face with those things that we have been keeping very, very quiet. Those things that we might be ashamed of, a feeling of guilt, a sense of something that is gnawing away and keeping us up at night and that we immediately cover up as soon as we leave the house and put on our suits and put on that facade that we're in control, everything is right, but that doesn't work in this presence. But in that presence, if we persist, if we stay in that presence, we may discover what the Samaritan woman discovered, that that presence accepts us just as we are, knowing all of those things that we're ashamed of, not only accepting us, but loving us just as we are, and calling us a beloved child. Fent feeling. Imagine if you could actually feel that acceptance. Maybe we'd be able to accept ourselves. And if we can accept ourselves, maybe, maybe we could actually love ourselves to the point where, like the Samaritan woman, we are filled with a new courage and boldness about life because we have discovered those living waters, that acceptance of a God who loves us just as we are, and it's all right. We're all right, because God loves us as God's child. And if we can really feel that loving presence and that acceptance, we will be transformed. And when we're transformed, we will have to share it with everybody. Some people will laugh at us, some people won't listen, but a lot will because they will sense in us a new presence, a love that is so powerful that it can actually touch them and give them the same hope, the same sense of searching for that living water, which is why we're here today. I wish it was easier than that. I mean, my gosh, coming into the presence is scary because so often we can't even look ourselves in the mirror and yet the invitation is there. Come all you who are carrying heavy burdens and are thirsty and I will refresh your souls, living water. Challenging, in this challenging time of Lent, when we are invited to be incredibly honest, no holds barred, there's a wonderful prayer that we usually say every time we come together for a Holy Communion, that we're not saying in Lent just because the liturgy changes slightly and it changed this morning, but I know you'll recognize this prayer. And frankly, I've come to the point where I say it not just at the beginning of communion, but every morning when I get up. And then I say it at night when I have to face myself alone in the darkness. And I find it to be an incredibly invitational prayer and so intimidating and so wonderful. Those of you who know it, Oh, Amen.